Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Uh, If you're new to MCC or today's your first day, then you might not be aware of this, but for this month, the month of February, we've been talking about what makes Meriden Community Church what it is. What makes MCC what it is? And for us, that comes back to a statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 10 and verse 10. That in that one sentence, Jesus underlines his purpose in coming to earth, but also highlights for us the values that make the culture of MCC what it is. And so we've been talking about the fact that, that everything has a culture, that, that people have a culture, that there are some people who they notoriously are always late. It's just a part of their personal culture. There are some people who are notoriously always on time. In fact, they're the people who tell you, if you're on time, you're late. You know those people, right? Right? So so people have a culture that that families have a culture, that countries have a culture, that simply a culture is the way things happen in community church around here. And so we've been looking at the cultural values of what makes Meriden Community Church what it is, which is taken for us from John chapter 10 and verse 10. This is what the Bible says in John 10 verse 10. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But here we go. I have come, Jesus said. Jesus is underscoring his purpose. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In that one sentence, Jesus underscores for us the values that make Meriden Community Church what it is. That as a church, that we would be a proactive church. Jesus said, I have come. Aren't you so glad that God wasn't waiting for us to make our way to him? Right? Jesus didn't come offering us religion. Lots of people offer religion. Jesus didn't come offering religion. Religion is about us making our way to God. Right? But Jesus didn't come offering religion. Jesus came offering relationship. So rather than us trying to make our way to God, God took the initiative, didn't he? And he made his way to us. And so Jesus said, I have come. If God was waiting for us to make our way to him, he would still be waiting, wouldn't he? Right? Isn't that what the scripture says, that we love God? Why? Because he first loved us, that he demonstrated it in sending his son to die for your sins and for mine. And so Jesus said, I have come. And as a cultural value for us, that we would be a proactive group of people. That that we're not sitting back to see what happens. No, no, we're we're jumping all the way in. Right? We're willing to get our feet wet first. That that we're not going to stop with, with just the way things have been or the way things could be, but, but rather that we'd be a can-do kind of people, a faith-orientated kind of people, an initiative-taking kind of people. And so Jesus said, I have come. Secondly, he said that you might have. And so last week we talked about the fact that we ought to be an others-focused group of people, that that should be something that defines the culture of what makes MCC what it is, that we see that in Jesus too, don't we? That even in the middle of redeeming all mankind, that Jesus still had time for people. You know this story, that Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? He's in the middle of redeeming all mankind, and a conversation breaks out with the person on his right, who also happens to be on a cross, and the person on his left. And the person on his right says, well, you know, if you're really the son of God, then like get yourself down and get us down too. And the guy on his left says, you you can't say that to him. He's the son of God. And a conversation breaks out where Jesus says to the sinner to his left, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That even in the middle of redeeming all mankind, Jesus still had time 
for a conversation with a person. He was still willing to be interrupted. That you and I would be like those kind of people. If I were Jesus and I were in the middle of redeeming all mankind, I'd be like, guys, can you be quiet? Like I'm trying to concentrate. Like this is really important. But not Jesus. Jesus has time for people, even in the middle of something as important as redeeming all mankind. Come on, that's a challenge for me as the pastor, because I can't build the church from my office. I have to get out of my office, right? Because it's actually as you walk slowly through life, slow enough to be able to see people that God can really begin to use you. And you'll be able to tell when when we've really got this idea, when actually our attention is less on ourselves, less even on what's going on in our church, and more on others, that we would be others-focused in everything we do, that that is one of the unique things about the church, that every other group in society exists for its members. RACQ is a massive group. They have lots of members. But if you call them up and ask for roadside assistance and you're not a member, they exist for their members. The church is unique in society because the church actually exists for its non-members. The whole reason why we do this is because there are people who don't yet know the love and grace of God the same way that you and I have come to appreciate that. That's the whole reason why we exist. And so that we'd be proactive, that we'd be others focused. Today, what we're focusing on is life giving. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And then finally, not just life, but I love this about God. God doesn't just give us enough. He gives us more than enough right? God's grace isn't sufficient, is it? It's more than sufficient. God doesn't just give us like a limited amount of mercy. No, his mercies are new every single day. That that God is generous and abounding. And so he says, I've come that you might have life, but not just life, life in all of its fullness. One translation says it this way, life in all of its abundance, life overflowing. And so next week we'll look at generosity, but this week we're looking at life. What does it mean to be a life-giving group of people? What does it mean to be a life-giving church? Well, firstly, it means this, that if Meriden Community Church is going to be a life-giving church, then certainly it means this, it means that we would be a church that lives life. In other words, has fun that we would be a fun group of people, that it would be totally normal for Cooper to get up here, flexing on stage in the middle of a Sunday service, just for those people who just maybe are a little bit religious and think that that shouldn't be done in church. That was done especially just for you, just to shake those religious cobwebs out, right? That church ought to be fun. That doesn't mean that we're irreverent, but it does mean that we're fun. Come on, Jesus was fun. I think sometimes people's view of Jesus is like at odds with what the gospel actually says. Like when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? When you think about that and actually what was happening in those three and a half years of earthly ministry, that Jesus is in his early 30s when he starts his earthly ministry, right? And he gathers to him, his, his team that he's doing it with are like that age or younger. These are like all young adults, Right? You put Jesus and 12 like teenage young adult guys together for three and a half years traveling around, tell me they didn't play practical jokes. For any person who thinks like Jesus was just, they just all walked around holy and didn't do anything naughty and they just didn't, not naughty bad because Jesus was sinless, but naughty fun, which is a different thing, right? 
that any person who thinks that that's what was going on, you've never done youth ministry, you've never been around a teenager before, like, they played practical jokes. They had to have played practical jokes. I mean, they're up every night praying. Even when Jesus is like, guys, would you just pray with me, like, just tarry one hour, they're falling asleep. It's like typical teenage teen. This is what's happening, right? If you were walking with Jesus and the disciples in the first century, I can guarantee you it would have been fun. That tax collectors and sinners wanted to hang out with Jesus. Not because he was transcribing hymnal books. He was fun to be around. Not in a way that was irreverent. Not, not in a way that led to sin, but, but in a way that even caused people who were supposed to be the guys who were having fun, that the tax collectors and sinners, the people who had at their disposal the means to be able to have all the entertainment of their age, were still like, man, there's something about that guy that's intriguing because we're trying to enjoy life, but he seems to really be enjoying life in a way that even our wealth can't allow us to. That Jesus would have been fun to be around. His team was young. The tax collectors and sinners wanted to hang out with him. Even children wanted to hang out with Jesus. I've got an eight-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. Their favorite thing to tell me is, Dad, I'm bored. There was nothing boring about Jesus. Even kids wanted to hang out with Jesus, right? That there was something fun about him. Some of you still aren't convinced, so I'm going I'm to help you see that Jesus was fun, all right? Because some of you are still like, no, no, Jesus, he just floated around and he was meek and mild and he wore a blue sash and he had blonde hair and blue eyes because that's what you saw on the felt board when you were in kids' church 50 years ago. But that's... <laughs> I feel like I'm working way harder at this than you're actually giving this to me, all right? So Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14, verse 25, shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them, right? Jesus sends the disciples out on a boat in the middle of a lake and a storm is brewing as they're going across the lake. But Jesus stays on the shore to pray. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Jesus is playing a practical joke. I know you're just reading this like it's just the Bible and it's boring, but think about this. Jesus sends them over. He goes to pray. It gets to like early hours of the morning. He's like, I should probably catch up with them. He could just like teleport himself there, but he thinks, no, do you know what? There would be a more interesting way to visit the disciples on the lake this morning. I mean, it's still dark. It's in, that, it's in that time where it's like people are tired. They're not quite awake. They've been up in the middle of the storm. The light's not there, so they can't see. So it's still like spooky. It's in that time of the night. And so Jesus comes walking. Why do they assume it's a ghost? They've spent a lot of time with Jesus. They know what Jesus looks like. I reckon Jesus took a sheet, threw it over himself. And then the scripture says, this is not in the Bible. This is extra biblical. So just, this is not in there. But just you can imagine this, couldn't you? That immediately they're terrified. and They're like, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, oh, it's probably gone too far. No, it's just I. It's the Lord. Don't be terrified. It's okay, guys. They didn't put that part in the Bible. But I reckon that could have been in there. I'm being a little bit facetious. But what does it mean to be a life-giving church? It means to be a church that knows how to live life. It means to be a church that knows how to have godly fun. It means a church that doesn't take itself too seriously. 
Come on, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 20 says, 22 says this, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. That as a church, shouldn't we exemplify, shouldn't we reflect the joy that we have having known, knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior? That there ought to be a joy that comes from a deeper place, that, that even those around us who don't yet know Jesus are like, what is it about them? Like we've experienced happiness, but happiness sort of comes along with those happenings. But these people seem to have a joy that runs a lot deeper than just what's going on around their world. Like there's a joy to them. There's a fun to them. There's an excitement to them. There's a faith to them that we can't quite put our finger on. That there should be something about our lives that people look at and say, I want what, he, what he's having. I want what they've got in their life. I can't explain it. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is a joy that they have that I've never experienced, and I'd like to try it. That to be a life-giving church is to be a church that knows how to have fun. You know, sometimes when you talk to people who follow Jesus, it's almost like, please don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Just keep that on the down low. We don't want the rest of the world to know that. <laughs> Because when you talk to them, they're like, you know, my life was like this, and it was really exciting, and these things were happening, and then I met Jesus, and I went to church, and, and now, you know, like I'm a faithful follower of Jesus, just every day, just carrying my cross, and just doing the things that are really important, not the things I wanted to do, just, just doing the really, and it's like living a life for Jesus is the life that God came to give you. The joy you experience from knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior ought to be bursting out of you. And so a life-giving church is a church that knows how to have fun. It's a church that can confess this. This is our confession, that we take what we do seriously, but we do not take ourselves seriously. We take what we do seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Like none of us have arrived. Like, like we get to be a part of the greatest enterprise on the earth, seeing the gospel go to every person and transform lives. That's an incredible thing that God partners with you and I to be a part of. And so we take what we do really seriously, but we're just not the kind of people that take ourselves too seriously. We're just not the kind of people that just start getting all religious all the time. We're, we're the kind of people who can laugh at ourselves. And so what does it mean to be a life-giving church? <laughs> it means to be a church that knows how to live life and have fun. Here's the second thing that it means. It means to be a church that knows how to speak life. It means to be a group of people who knows how to speak life. Have you noticed that there are some people you spend time with? Please don't look sideways. This is the perfect time to look forward. Don't make eye contact with anyone during this moment. But if you notice there's some people, like you go out to coffee with those people, and at the end of the hour, you're like, I feel like the blood has been drained from my body. Like there is an exhaustion that's set in that doesn't actually make sense, but it feels like something has been sucked out of me. <sighs> then there are other people, right? You spend a few minutes with them, and, and, and having spent that time with them, you find yourself constantly trying to work out when can we like reschedule to catch up, because there's something about them that seems to be able to put the life into you. Like being around them encourages you. They've always just got something to be able to say in season. Like they've just, 
It's not even like they're trying to be prophetic. It's just that they just share things that just, that's exactly what I need to hear. That they've just always got a scripture on their tongue or they've just, they've just got a way of being able to encourage. That they just seems to be able to put life into a person. And so what does it mean to be a life-giving group of people? It means not just to be able to live life, but also to be able to speak life. Listen to this in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Come what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that when Jesus spoke, the universe was created. That literally what the scripture is saying is that he framed the universe with his words. We know that's true, right? Because in Genesis, God said, let there be light. And then there was light. That God said, let there be land and land came. And then God said, let there be animals and and the animals came. And, And God created as he opened his mouth and he spoke. He framed the universe. He framed the world with his words. But you know, you and I are also created in the image of God. That you and I have that same creative ability. That you and I are able to frame our world with our words. And so when you speak life, it's amazing how your world begins to be shaped and framed by things that are living. It's amazing how when you begin to speak death, how quickly your world becomes framed by things that are dying and dead. That when you speak joy, it's amazing how your world becomes framed by joy. Right? My aunties used to say, birds of a feather flock together. They said it a bit more naughty than that, but that's like the refrained version of the way they used to say it. That birds of a feather flock together. And so it's amazing how when a person is negative, how quickly they find other people in their own world who have the same bent. It's amazing how when people have joy, they tend to find people who also have that same inclination of the heart. It's almost like as they speak, they are framing their world with their words. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says this. It says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. It's true. When you speak life, it produces life. Speak life in your marriage. Watch the life that comes in your marriage. Speak death into a marriage and watch how death begins to form in parts of your marriage. You find that in relationships, that's true. You find that even in your own thinking about your own self, that that's true. That there is power in our speech, so much so that God spoke the universe into being and framed the world with his words. But you and I have the ability to frame our own world with our own words. So what does it mean to be a life-giving church? It means to be a church that not only knows how to live life and have fun, but it also means to be a church that knows how to speak life as well. Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus said that. Another translation puts it this way. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James talks, and he talks about the fact that, that who can tame the tongue? It is so powerful. 
It has the ability, like the rudder on a ship, to steer the course of a person's life. Such is the power that's in a person's tongue. And what Jesus is saying here is literally this. He's saying, really, what your tongue is, is a reflection of your own soul. That the tongue is a lot like a bucket attached to a rope being lowered into a well. That the bucket really has no control over what's in the well. It simply brings up what's down there. And so when you put the bucket down into the, into the well, if there's water in the bottom, then when the bucket comes up, it brings up the water that was in the well. But, but if there's not much water and it's just like a, a bit of mud or, or a bit of sand that's in the bottom of that well, then when you put it down or you pull up, it is the mud or the sand that's in the bottom of that well. If the water's clean, then the bucket, when it pulls it back up, it'll be clean water. If the water's dirty, then, then when the bucket goes down, it'll pull up dirty water because the bucket can't control what's in the well. It simply reveals what's in the well. And Jesus says the same thing. He says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks. In other words, it's like our tongue lowers down into the soul and begins to reveal what's in our own soul. And so when we speak, shouldn't our speech reflect the salvation that's in our soul? That that when we speak, does it have a tone of faith to it? That, That when we speak, does it have a tone of encouragement to it? That when we speak, does it have a tone of hope in it? Can you hear hope ringing in the words as they leave your mouth? Can you hear life in what comes out of your mouth? What does it mean to be a life-giving church? Certainly it means to be a church that knows how to live life. And how to take what we do really seriously, but not take ourselves too seriously. But it also means to be the kind of people who know how to be able to speak life because of an abundance of life that actually resides in our own soul. Andrew Carnegie said this. He said, men are developed the same way that gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. One goes in looking for the gold. Can we talk about, does our language, does our conversation, does the words of our mouth coming out of the abundance of our heart, does it sound like faith? Does it sound like hope? Does it put courage into people? Because there's courage here as well. Because in the relationships and in the rub of life and in the things that happen, it's possible to become more aware of the dirt than of the gold in those relationships around about us. I'll make this really practical. You all have a boss if you have a job, right? You can choose what kind of boss you serve. You can work for an absolute grump or you can work for an absolute genius because both of those things are probably true. But if you go looking for the dirt, some of you are like, you haven't met my boss. I saw those sideways glances just then. Fortunately, there's, there wasn't any pastoral staff who did that, I don't think. <laughs> Cooper, just sit still. <laughs> because both those things will be true. Because for all of us, we're all earthen vessels, right? So, so it's possible in anyone to see the dirt. But it takes a little more being deliberate to be able to see the gold. And so you can, you can lament what a person is not, or you can celebrate what a person is, 
And one of those things will bring life and the other will bring death. Think about it in terms of marriage, right? That, that there is no one you know more than your spouse. In fact, if anyone could give you a long list of dirt on me, it'd be Elise. Elise's list would be really short if I had to give you one on Elise because there's like Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God and then there's like Elise. They're really close. Then there's like angels. They come down here somewhere, right? But, but the people we know the most, right, those in, in our own family, we know more dirt on them than anyone else. But it's a deliberate choice, isn't it? Not to see the dirt, but to be able to see the gold. And so that's true in our work environments. That's true in our families. That's true in our marriages. If we're teenagers, that's true when we look at our parents, that it's easy to see the things that they get wrong, but we could look at, we can lament what they're not, or we can celebrate what they are, but the choice is ours. And one of those things brings life, and the other of those things brings death. But if we're going to be a life-giving group of people, then it means we're the kind of people who aren't ignorant We're not blind, but we're just more focused on the gold in people than we are in the dirt in people. That we're the kind of people who are willing to believe the best about others because we're more focused on seeing the gold come out than the dirt come out of the mine. So what does it mean to be a life-giving group of people? What does it mean to be a life-giving church? It means to be able to live, to be the kind of church that knows how to live life and have fun, but it also means the kind of church that knows how to speak life. Here's the confession for this point. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and pleasing to you, O Lord. Psalm 19, 14. That that to me is a daily challenge for my own self. That God let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let those things be holy and pleasing to you. Here's the final one. What does it mean to be a life-giving church. It means to believe in the power of God to transform lives. This is pretty important. This is pretty important. Because when we're talking about being proactive, we see that reflected in God, but you could also find that in the value statement of any business. And we talk about being others-focused. Again, you see that reflected in the heart of God. But again, you could take that into a business, and that would sound like putting the customer first. But this is different. Because to be life-giving, the truth is, for us to be life-giving, there's got to be life to be able to give. It means that we have to experience the life that God came to give us by accepting salvation through His Son. That that to be a life-giving church means that we believe in the power of God to transform lives. That this isn't a social club built around Christian values. That, That we are not preaching sermonettes for Christianettes on Sundays. That that Christianity is not a behavior modification program. This is much more than this. This is the power of God to transform lives. In Acts chapter 3, I want to read this story, and this is where we're going to finish this sermon this morning. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 1, the scripture records this account. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. 
When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Listen to this verse, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That for that man on that day, he was grateful that he encountered not just people going into the temple, but two guys, just routine, but walking into church, believing the power of God to transform lives. Think about it from this guy's perspective, because what was true for this man is true for the 55,000 people that live in our postcode right around this center. That he was crippled from birth. This is the only people walk he had ever known. He didn't know there was another way to live. He'd seen other people walk, but he'd never experienced it for himself. And he was placed every day at the gate of the church. He wasn't like he was outside of the church, but it wasn't really like he was inside the church either. He was just at the gate. He was close enough to hear the singing, but never really to participate for himself. He'd probably heard sermons preached because he was at the gate. He was close enough to be able to hear what was going on. He just had never experienced the power of God for himself. He wasn't an idiot. He was very clever. Like he knew religious people get even more religious on their way to church. So what a great place to beg, right? When people are feeling a little self-righteous, it's just right at the gate. Just like right before you go and worship God, like that'd be a really good, this guy was clever, right? If he was alive today, he'd probably be running a Fortune 500 company. He was clever. He knew what he was doing. And so he's sitting at the gate and he's begging, thinking that all he needs is money because money will satisfy the longings of his life. Until one day he encounters two guys who've experienced the power of God and they know there is more to this life than what this man has experienced. There is more to life than even what he thinks he needs. There's more to life than he could possibly imagine. And so he goes and he puts his bowl out the same way he's asked every person for money coming past, expecting that he's going to get something from them. And what he gets is way more than he could have ever possibly dreamed of because on that day, it was Peter and John going to church. And Peter and John had experienced the power of God in their own life. They'd experienced life the way that God had intended it. They hadn't always had that experience, but they had spent time with Jesus and it had totally altered their life. And so on that day, they look at this man in the eyes and they say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're saying, get up and walk. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Luke, who writes this, is a physician. And the way he describes it is that the man's ankles were dislocated from his body. 
They were out of alignment. But the minute the power of God touched his life, his ankles became strong and his body came back into alignment. That which was broken and disconnected and didn't function the way it was supposed to, which is true of every person since sin has dislocated us from God and and put things out of alignment, even with our own relationship with God, that it's put us far from God, that all of a sudden his feet and ankles became strong and he stood up for the first time. And notice what he did. He jumped to his feet. And he ran around. He sounded like Cooper in the middle of this service. He was the one screaming and flexing and standing because he'd never been able to do that before. And this is so important to us that we must be a group of people who understand the power of God is able to transform people's lives. This is not a social club. This is not keeping the aquarium. This is fishing for men and women who've been close enough to even hear the songs and the sermons they've spent their whole life. They've just never really experienced the power of God. They've just never experienced salvation for themselves. And so they don't know how to give grace because they've never experienced it. And they struggle with forgiving others because they've never received the forgiveness that comes from God. And they think that all they've got to give is their gifts and talents. But come on, if you're a person who's received the risen Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got so much more to give than that. You've got the life that comes. Come on, this is what the Scripture says in Romans 8 verse 11. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Come on, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the same power coursing through your body that raised Christ from the dead. Do you know who you are? That when you leave church on a Sunday and you go into your workplace, all of hell trembles because hell recognizes who you are. When Dave Larkin goes to Meriden State College, all of hell gets scared. They were hoping Dave wouldn't become the chaplain there because then their lives would be easy. But Dave wants to make their life difficult. That's why he became the chaplain. Come on, the same is true for you in your workplace, in your family. Come on, the people that you see at Woolworths when you're at the checkout, right? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Come on, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have is way more precious, way more valuable, way more eternal than any of those things could ever possibly be. Come on, when we... That's a good place to clap. That would be a good place for you to clap. Come on, this is true even when it comes to community care, when we're handing out meals, which I love that we're doing that. And I love that we're doing it from the start. We're not waiting to add that ministry later. We're doing it now. But come on, we're not just trying to give people meals from Urban Angels. We want that to be a meal and it comes with something extra too, right? The side dish to the meal you're getting is a person who understands and knows the power of God. And if you're open to it, Come on, when we go and do hospital visitation, yes, we should take flowers, yes. But we should also take the power of God with us to believe for people to be healed. And God, because all healing belongs to Him, can choose any method He likes. The doctors, the surgery, the medication, or simply laying on hands, it's all at His disposal. But come on, we're people who understand that we've got something far more to give because we've received something far more. Here's the confession for this. It's really this. I cannot give what I have not got.
So I wonder for you today, as we're talking about being a life-giving church, where you've experienced that life that Jesus came to give. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to pray in just a moment. Have you experienced that life that Jesus came to give? Because that's not about obeying a list of rules. It's not about trying to pull up your socks and be a better person. It's about admitting that, that actually you can't save yourself. It's admitting that you need God and asking Him to forgive you of all your mistakes and inviting Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You know, the basic definition of a Christian is this, is that before you were a Christian, Jesus was real, but on the outside of your life. But the minute you said yes to Jesus, God became real and on the inside. That's the power of God. That's the Spirit of God moving in a person's life. And so this morning, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give just every person just a chance. We've got one more thing we're going to do in the service today, but I just don't want to miss this opportunity that if you're here this morning and you're not right with God or maybe you've never experienced the life that God has for you, maybe you've, you've never stopped and you've asked for God's forgiveness and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life or maybe because you've never been to church, this is the most you've heard anyone talk about God at all. Or, or perhaps because you've been to church many times, but you've just never really made that personal decision for yourself. I want to ask you this morning, if that's you, if you want to experience the life-transforming power of God, if you'd like to put your faith and trust in Jesus this morning, then what I'd love for you to do is right where you stand, just right now, is just lift your hand towards heaven and just look up at me so I know who to pray for this morning. Who'd say, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? And include me this morning in this prayer. Thank you, may I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, God, for this young man who's lifted his hand. That God, even as he did it, Lord, it was an act of faith. To say, Lord, I need you in my life. God, I pray that your hand would be upon him in might and in power. That, God, he would experience the fullness of the life that you have for him. That, God, he would experience your power. That there would come a confidence and a boldness that he can't explain naturally. But he can't explain it because it's the Spirit of God upon him. Lord, I pray let that be so. And, Lord, I pray let that be so for every single person who's in this room today. That, God, each one of us might experience your power in a new and fresh way. Maybe for some of us who, who've walked this journey of faith for some time, but never really experienced your power in our own lives. God, I pray that there would come a dynamic, even in our journey of faith, to experience your power. Lord, for others, Lord, who, who've experienced your power in the past, and, and, and maybe it's something that needs to be dusted off again to begin to see and believe. God, to see healings and to begin to see the prophetic and to begin to see, Lord, your power at work. God, we're not just trying to play church. God, we want to see you glorified and lifted up. God, we want to see all men drawn to you. God, we want to see lives changed and transformed. God, people who put their faith and trust in you and that, God, that you might use us to do that. That, God, you might use us like Peter and John just going about our day, but we might see somebody, God, the way that you see them. 
and in that moment be able to pray and see your power transform their lives. That doesn't have to happen in a service. It could happen in a coffee shop. It could happen in the center. It could happen while we're playing sport. It could happen, Lord, even while we're dropping kids off to school. It could happen in the middle of a Woolworths line that, God, you're able to do incredible things. That, God, your heart is towards people. And so, Lord, use us. Let us be agents for life-giving change in this community. God, I pray not that you'd keep us safe. God, I pray that you would keep us bold in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.